Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen in as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends. Tom, remind people, who are you? So Tom Morrison is a 25-year exec with a great, awesome wife, three self-sufficient children who are all married with three self-sufficient spouses. That makes me rich. But now I have three, three grandkids. It means I'm going back in the poorhouse. So been doing this 25 years, CEO of three organizations, and my passion is something we're going to talk about today, Dave, disruption. But disruption in the post-COVID era, because we are reaching post-COVID era over time. And what do we have to do for that? So that's what I love talking to people about. I'm going to hit the tennis ball back to your side of the court. Who is Dave Wills? Tom Morrison, I am an entrepreneur specifically focused on technology in the association space. That's how I describe myself. I'm a lot of people know me in this industry as the founder of Peach New Media. Freestone was a learning management system that ultimately was acquired and being managed by community brands now. I am on to my next thing, working on PropFuel, which is a contextual engagement platform. And so, Tom, you and I, I you know, I hate the phrase disruption. Forgive me for, for combating. Why are you going to disrupt early. me like that? <laughs> so forgive me for, <laughs> for disrupting this conversation. But like, it's just such an, to me, it just seems like it's a watered down word. People use the word disruption. It, there was a time when things were totally and truly disrupted, right? Like personal computers were completely mm-hmm. disruptive to a number of industries. But I would challenge that everything we're going to suggest here is disruptive. I think what we're going to be talking about is what's the future look like? What's a little taste of the nearer future post-COVID? So call it what you will, but that, you know that's just my take on this. Disruption is strong. I'm curious. So you, where this came from, Tom, was you're actually doing a, you're a keynote speaker. Yeah. And you're doing a, a talk later today on just this topic to a, to a group of people and <laughs> which, which speakers tend to do talk to groups of people. And so I suggested let's, let's actually make your talk the topic for today. I'd really like to hear your perspective. I love it. And I have opinions too. So I'm going to throw some of those in, in the, in the middle of all this. So hit it, man. What's, what's your talk about? How are you, how are you so, addressing the future? So let me share with you about disruption. So disruption is the consequence called innovation. And I wasn't prepared for it. That's really what disruption is because just the companies and people who truly are out in front of change don't get disrupted. They're the disruptor or they're riding the wave of change in a way that benefits their company. So the only people that really get disrupted, think about that, it's a consequence of innovation for the unprepared. So that's what I love talking about. because I like that definition. It's when you're caught off guard. Right. By, and think about it. By things that happened, right? With the vast majority of people not liking change, guess what? disruption lives and breathes in our industry and in an industry out there because most people don't like change. So they're not pre-preparing for the future, taking in that information going, we have to change this, this, and this because this type of change is coming at us. They want to do business the same old way because that's what they're grained in. And then change comes at them like that. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's crazy time. And here's the, here's the proof of the pudding. So two things I always talk about at my session that really catches people's mind. IBM did a study in 2015 interviewed 5,000 C-suite executives, a lot of Fortune 500 companies. And guess what? Over 50% of them, what caught um, this uh, journalist's attention to write a story about it, they asked a whole series of questions. But one question really caught their attention, and it was, what is your biggest fear as a, as a C-suite executive of a major company? What's your biggest fear? And these are the largest companies in the land. 
the number one fear, Dave, was the Uberization of their business model, something cheaper, faster, more efficient coming out of nowhere and taking hold of their business model. So and by Uberization, you just mean like get disruption, getting caught off right. guard. Right. Well, Uber, getting... Uber, Uber was the first company to really come out and almost dismantle the taxi industry overnight. Lily just like almost destroyed it. Now, taxi at cab industry is living and, and coming back, but a lot of people say- I, I, well, I mean, it's, it's still alive. You go to airports, you can still find cabs. So they're, they're there. But that doesn't mean it's coming back. They've developed their own te- set of technology. And I do know people that say, you know what, instead of waiting five or 10 minutes for an Uber, I just run to the cab stand and go. There's a lot, of, just like people don't like, you know, Walmart. They don't like Starbucks. They don't like the big corporate kind of thing. They go back to the, the you know, the local market. Taxi cabs are considered the local marketplace. There is a group. Yeah, of people it's that like, like the that. newspaper. Right. It's like the yeah. It's yeah. I get it. It's, so so uh, so Uberization was the term derived out of, Type, out of typewriters and newspapers. Yeah. Taxi cabs. Yeah, I, I don't I don't use a typewriter because I need that dang whiteout big time. <laughs> so Uberization. <laughs> I think was the, the better of, typewriters actually have a like an eraser. Like you can go back and erase the letter you just typed. I remember that back in if the day. If there's electronics in it. So here's the deal. When you take Uber and disruption and mesh together, you got Uberization. So that's what the definition was of Uberization. So that was the number one thing that C-suite executives said they feared the most was that coming in and changing their model out of nowhere. The number two was Forbes did a study and they announced it a couple of years ago. They said between 20 and 2029, nine short years, over 40%, think about that, 200 of the Fortune 500 companies, over 40% of the Fortune 500 companies are not going to be here through Uberization whether they get disrupted, whether they uh, consolidate, whether they go bankrupt, but 40% of those companies will not be here in 2029. Think about that. If you're a company doing business and you're connected in the supply chain of Fortune 500 companies, you don't know who those 200 companies are. So it's imperative that you're having conversations with them to figure out, are they on the front end of change? Or are they one of those companies that really just kind of like, like a Kodak? A Kodak for years thought that digital pictures would be nothing. The CEO of Kodak even said, "Digital, no, nobody's ever going to want digital pictures. They're going to want paper pictures. Wrong. And look what happened to Kodak. Now, they're making come back in other areas, but that's the whole premise. You really got to be having conversations with your supply chain more than ever before to find out, are they ahead of change or not ahead of change? Because if you don't, you could get caught really big time. It is interesting when you, I, that, that's an, a staggering number that 40% of Fortune 500 businesses will, I don't quite understand what you're saying, they're, they're not going to be gone. Like Kodak's not gone, but... But it ain't Kodak like it was. That's yeah, like, they're not going to be peaking. But I mean, you, so you look at organizations like Facebook and even Microsoft. Think about how long Microsoft has been at the top. And then, of course, I mean, Google's just a baby compared to Microsoft. Right. Um, and I heard a guy describe his career as having started with IBM. I don't remember where I saw this. I think it was some documentary on Netflix. He's like, yeah, I used to work for IBM and IBM was like the Google of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And now IBM's a strong company, but it's no Google. You but know, they, had to re- they had to go out and reinvent themselves. They had to become something other than just a hardware company. And even after they did, they're a very, very strong company, but people don't talk about IBM the way they talk about Google and Facebook and all the other unicorns that- right. They- we're looking at. All right. So let, let's so, tell so me real, real more quick, about... Before we, get, before we get into that, I want to just share with, expand just a, two seconds on, you have that same look I get in my meetings when I say 40% of Fortune 500 companies won't be here in 2029. And everybody's like, what? Uh-uh. Did he just say that? But if you yeah. go back, they, they followed up in the Fortune, in the Forbes article, if you go back to the year 2000 and look at the Fortune 500 company list, then 52% of those companies 20 years later are not on that list. 
52%. So, and, and because disruption is happening so much faster, that's why they're saying that it'll happen in 10 years this go around, just because change is happening so rapidly. <clears throat> you know, I, when I think about disruption I, I, and the things that are a little scary, I think about the speed of computers. And, and I'm not qualified to talk about this, but quantum computing is one example where they're completely, the people on the bleeding edge of quantum computing, they'll know that the technology is different. It's, mm -hmm. it's not just a good old-fashioned motherboard and a computer. It's or talking about extreme heat or extreme cold. And I, I, to be honest, I don't even know what it is, but it's a completely different design of how the hardware works to get computers at these screaming speeds mm -hmm. so that they can process unimaginable amount of data mm -hmm. in a matter of, I mean, just the, the volume of data that can be processed and computed in a matter of a second is absolutely unbelievable. And so that opens the door to things that we can't even imagine, which leads to how will that disrupt the world? Because it will. There's things that are going to be completely and utterly disrupted. You know, the, I, John Spence is a guy that's becoming more and more popular in the association space. I'm seeing him speak at some association conferences. Most recently, I saw he's speaking at the Marine Retailer Association of America. But this is a guy that is a futurist. He doesn't describe himself as a futurist. He's just a, he reads an unimaginable amount of books. And as a result, he has a pretty interesting perspective of the world. But he told me about this rather large company a lot of us know called Monsanto, who works with in, in the farming industry. And you know, you think of, of an organization like Monsanto and you think about seeds and fertilizer, but actually they're in the business of microcomputers. Mm -hmm. And the way microcomputers are disrupting the farming industry is they have these rice-sized computers that tell robots how much water and fertilizer each plant needs at the yes. individual planting level. So mm -hmm. when you buy these fresh veggies at, at a restaurant, you can also find out where it was picked and what fertilizer was used in it because of these rice-sized microcomputers that are sprinkled around the dirt in the farm. And now when this, when this robot comes to water the plant, it acknowledges what that little rice piece computer is telling it that this plant needs. Isn't that crazy? And now uh, take that, Tom. I know this is your keynote that you're giving, but I'm happy to join you if you want me to join you for the keynote. <laughs> but listen, here's the really fascinating thing is take that, the, the rice-sized microcomputers that Monsanto is using and apply that now to the association space. Mm -hmm. Instead of watering plants, we're watering individuals. And right. why would we bother watering a whole field of individuals all at once when you can water an individual? Right. You can actually provide personalization delivered to that individual. And I'm not talking about putting their name like a mail merge where you say, hey, Tom, and then you have this canned email. That's not personalization. I don't know what that is, but that's not personalization. Personalization is giving that plant the exact amount of water and nutrients that it needs to thrive and survive. Right. And that's what I think associations are going to see in the current. Actually, it's happening right now. In fact, prop fuel is a big part of making that happen. That's our mission to make that happen at a personalized level for members. So you're coming in and disrupting the old way of people doing it through surveys and general emails instead of contextualizing it down to. And it's one of my 10 key. Nice job, by the way. Well done. You, you, you nailed that description. Yes. It's one of my it's one of my key consumer buying habit changes that are going on that's going to change the face of society and the market and business, which is customization. 
Customers want what they want, not what everyone else wants that you boil down to something that you think they want. They want what they want. And the question is, is what are you doing as an association to understand what each individual wants so you can just give it to them? So tell me, how does that fit into your talk later today? I mean, what, what else at the association level, what else is going to be changing in a post-COVID era? Well, here's the thing about associations. COVID magnified, absolutely magnified the weak value proposition that many associations have. Because one of the things that was ripped, stripped away immediately was live meetings. The hmm. number one thing when you say, hey, why do people value your association? Networking. They will have networking because they can get input. They can meet together. They can get off the side conversations. Well, guess what? Gone. But when you say, hey, why, why should I be a member of your association? When you can't talk about a live meeting, what do you talk about? And so COVID magnified that in the hugest way. So it caused associations to do what we did in our association. You know, I was in my introduction. People hear that we've grown our association since 2006. 2,600% was because at the beginning of 26, at the beginning of 2006, we did this fun little exercise where we as a board sat down and said, okay, advocacy, government relations, our members hate politics. Let's assume they don't want to do anything in that. Only 60% of our members come to meetings. Let's assume none of them come to meetings. When you take advocacy and meetings out of the equation, what is your value? And immediately we started actually addressing problems that members had in their businesses and combine them in to a set of value. Now, if you don't come to a meeting and you hate government relations and you're a member of our association, your value proposition is just as high as someone that does. So it didn't magnify anything with us. It just enhanced our value because people immediately saw our value because of the things that we did for our members outside of meetings and advocacy feed fed directly into what they needed during COVID. But COVID magnified the weak proposition for many associations. So here's what people have to think about in the future. This is something I've just added into my presentation. So associations are gonna have to go from analog to digital everything. They're going to have to figure out how to digitize their entire operations from membership recruitment, membership engagement, retention, everything they do about their, even just operations. Where do you store your stuff? You know, you got to go from analog to digital, get away from paper. Touchless. I mean, people are trying to get association workers to come back, but now we're in this touchless society because people are scared to touch one another. You know, do we have gloves? The simplest one is when you walk in in your handicap and you go and touch that thing to open the door. Some people don't want to do that now. I mean, so what are you doing? I always pull my sleeve down over my hand. <laughs> the question is, will I still do that in a year from now? You pro probably not because so it's, we have short memories when it comes to stuff that we want. And the moment the fear of it goes away, we're going to go right back into where we are. But for the time being, you can't ignore it or you're going to tell, you're going to make people think that you're put off by it and it's not important. So touchless is a big thing. Wait, 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 wait. Before we move on, put a little bookmark there because I know you're kind of on a, you got a list of things right now. But do you, so you and I, we're old dogs, right? You're mm -hmm. older than me, I think. But so you're an older dog, but we're both still. But this, this dog can run. <laughs> okay, so we're old dogs. But so we're probably going to bounce back to touching things and licking things that we shouldn't lick. And, you know, it, it, so that's, but we're old dogs. You know, what about the younger, highly influential people, and I don't know what age that is, <clears throat> excuse me, but what if it was like elementary school? So what about those kids in elementary school where they're going through an 18 month window, maybe two years, they're going through a period of time where they're told not to shake hands, they're told not to touch things, wash with sanitizer after they do, breathe only into a mask, don't cough, 
<laughs> right. you absolutely have to, you know? And, and so like how you and I are going to bounce back, but these kids, whether they're elementary school or middle school or even high school, what effect is this going to have on them as they grow into adults? Do you think well, handshakes are going to evaporate? I do not think handshakes are going to evaporate. I think they're going to come back at some level. Again, when we go back to, because we're, we're all built for human connection, we're all built for that. And so the moment we get, it's okay to handshake. The moment we have a period of time where people are hugging, touching, um, handshaking, and in a short midst of each other, and people aren't getting deeply ill, and we see that for a period of time, we're gonna, it's just kind of going back to when 9-11 happened and for about six months, everybody was fearful of flying. And within a year after that, everybody was flying left and right and we're at record numbers. So we have a short memory. With a stuff. dramatic change in Homeland Security. Sure, sure. So, so that's what I'm saying though. We're gonna, have a, we're gonna have changes to things like touchless. Grade school kids are gonna grow up in that moment and then it's gonna go away, let's say. But what they're gonna be is they're gonna be more cognizant of that stuff, whereas we're not. They're gonna be much more cognizant of it and be much more like, say, they're going to ask the question, should I wear a mask in there or shouldn't I? You and me would never do that because it, we look at this as just kind of a, it's come and gone, but it's, it's their nature and their DNA in a very young age. So they're, going to, they're just going to have different questions to ask in my opinion. So another one is health consciousness. You know, they're going to probably wash their hands more than anybody when they grow up. You and I, we might wash our hands more for a little bit, but then we're not, you know. Um, you know, hopefully we wash when we come out of the bathroom and stuff like that. But I mean, when you get off a plane, most people don't run to the sanitizer and put, now they do but they won't probably a year from now when things get back to some sense of normality. So a couple of other key elements that are gonna come out of a, um, COVID for, for associations is remote working. Their workers working remote as well as their members working remote. What does that mean to, I mean, think about the associated general contractors. These are people that build commercial buildings. Think about where where's their market gonna go when everybody's saying, you know what, we can now work from home and be very effective. Now, some people are gonna go back. My daughter's 29, she's dying to go back to work because she loves it. She loves the people. But a lot of millennials don't like to go back to work. Many of our age don't like to go back to work. So remote working is going to have a huge impact on certain industries. Virtual meetings. That's wait, wait, wait. Remote working. Something I've thought about here, and I might have even mentioned it in one of our previous podcasts, is I think it's a, um, for me, with kids at home and dogs at home and a home I like to be in, in a suburb of Boston, I don't need to be in an office. Mm -hmm. and, and also in the middle towards mature stage of my career. But if you're 20 something, like 29, like your daughter, and especially if you're single, and especially if you're, you're in a position in your career where mentors are highly influential, mm -hmm. I could see a, a working from home to be a massive debilitator in your career advancement Absolutely. and your personal life too. Right, right, exactly. Because that, that building your network as a young person so that you have a network in your 30s to call on. I always tell people, when you get let go from a job and you're going to, even in the best economies, sometimes they reorganize and you get let go from a job. What is the first thing you wanna be able to do before you call your spouse on the way home at 4.55 when you got let go? What would be the first thing you'd like to do? I'd go get a drink. Well, that's number three <laughs> after you call your spouse. The, I tell people the number one thing you would like to do is to call two people in your speed dial, who you met through your network that said, Dave, we really like how you think and how you do business and how you work. If you ever get let go or reorganized from your company, call us. We'd like to make a space for you in our company. But that only comes from relationships over time in networks, which traditionally resides in an association. That's why associations are powerful. That's why groups of people are powerful. And that's why the young people will begin to want to network. Why? Because it becomes a, a group of people they can call 
and literally have three interviews the next week after they get let go from any job. So really, really interesting perspective here is, yes, uh, working from home is, is a trend that I don't think is going to uh, go away. It's going to dissipate a little bit, but it's not going to go away ever. I, I agree. I people, yeah. Working from home is now an accepted method of work. It's an accepted office. And therefore, the question now becomes, how can associations fill that gap of the social, well, personal and professional development for people that are missing out on the in-office relationships. Right. Um, there's probably a huge opportunity for mentorships, social gatherings in, in the cities. And anyway, I, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but that's an interesting change post-COVID. Well, for me, if associations are smart, we're, this is what we're doing the next five weeks. So I'm having my association, I'm reading them as well, so I can help one lead them and guide them, but also learn new things is our association staff is reading the guide to a digital transformation, which is a book by Dan Stevens on doing everything digital and association. Yeah. The next yeah, one's going to be, a, yeah, the next one's going to be association 4.0 by Kevin Ordonez and Sherry from, uh, Orbs, yep. Kevin Orbs originally the founder of uh, NetForum. Yep. And then we're also reading, uh, the non-obvious guide to virtual meetings. So we can understand the depth and presence of virtual meetings. So one, we can know what we do, but also how to help our members. And then we've got two books, one written by Dot Miller out of Association Solutions in um, Colorado on just the basic guides and concepts of association management. So we're reading those books. We all have the same philosophies moving towards a digital economy with innovation, understanding how associations work. That is what associations need to do right now is have everybody reading books like that. So they all think the same way instead of thinking the old way. I love how you're so immersed in the association community. Like what you, the three books you just described are books written by mm -hmm. association executives and their professionals. And I love that you're so in touch with the books in our industry. Like, cause people outside of our industry are probably not going to read those books so much. Right. Right. Well, for me, so I want to read people's books that have been here. When I, when I say, Hey, I'm experiencing this. They go, Tom, I've experienced that too. And I know exactly how you feel. And this is how we moved on from it. But just moving on from that, I mean, just virtual meetings. How's virtual meetings going to impact associations? I mean, if you're in the travel leisure industry, you're hoping virtual meetings go down because the more virtual meetings go up, guess what? Business travel di dissipates. There's not as much association meetings. Maybe attendance is down because now you've got hybrid models where more people stay home than go. So virtual meetings are having unintended consequences that we have to think through in our business model. But guess what happens, Dave, when you have remote working and virtual meetings? Guess what the number one issue is going to rise to the top for associations that none of them are probably thinking of? What, when you have... When you uh, have, when remote working, when remote workers are expanding and virtual meetings are expanding, what do you think the number one thing that many associations probably aren't even, even thinking about? Oh my God, Tom. You think I'm smart enough to figure out what no associations have figured out? It, it, I don't know. It's cybersecurity, man. You got now you're outside uh -huh. VPNs. You're, you, the pathways for hacking for the basic association who has a guy or a girl who has a password called dot one O is their password. Don't understand the complexities of why to have a four character, different character password so that hackers can't get in. So training your employees and password importance and those kind of things are going to be vitally important. And it's a huge value opportunity for associations to reach into their members because most members don't understand cybersecurity mm. at all. You know, but, something I've learned, I, I have a lot of friends in that space and something I've learned inside and outside the association world, but something I've learned is most hacks are not actually hacks. 
they're just logging in with somebody's ID and password and then walking around as an admin in a system. That's not a hack. They're right. not breaking in. They're just taking somebody's key and, and opening the door themselves. Well, you want to know the guy that we partnered with to do cybersecurity for our members is a, is a business partner. So he has a great analogy of describing hackers. He says hackers, because he said I used to be one. Hackers are inherently lazy. You ever heard of the thing where teams run through parking lots in the middle of the night clicking door handles? They don't spend time breaking into any cards. They're just looking for the one that opens right up the sunlock and they go steal all the change in the thing. That's what a hacker is. A hacker is running around clicking into all these different places. And the moment they see an unprotected entry door, that's where they go in. He Moments said, of vulnerability they're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Hackers do not spend all night trying to get into your account. So if you just do the basic steps of locking them out, you're pretty well protected from that. Hmm. Um, and actually, I don't lock the door of my car very often because I don't want to breaking the window. But that's a great point. If you don't lock the car, then they can just get in super easy. We you want to make them work for it, right? We, we lived in a condo unit and twice we had our car that had been left unlocked. They left a, my wife's very expensive purse in the car and only took the change out of the purse. The purse was- That is purse, lazy because you'd have to sell the purse. <laughs> oh, that means a whole exactly. trip to the pawn shop. <laughs> So, oh, so, that, so those, are, those are a list of things that COVID has magnified that are great value opportunities for, for associations. But it's, Wait, it's wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Why did your wife leave a very expensive purse in a car overnight? It was, it was a wristlet. It was a small purse, a little wristlet. She just I, happened It doesn't to, matter. Why? Like, un, why? She got out Is of the car. Is this one of those Louis Vuitton wristlet things? I think this one was somewhere between that and a regular purse. But it was worth a lot more than just a regular purse. And it was, I think it was a grocery day where we grabbed all of our groceries and we just didn't go back downstairs to grab. That's what you call a user error. Yeah. <laughs> that's a yeah. user error. Coming from yeah. a software, a more technically oriented guy, that's a user error. Yeah. That is but, not, that's not a flaw in the system. That's a user error. Plus, we failed to lock the door. That was the yeah. big key. Yeah. Well, well, if you did lock the door, you'd also have to deal with a broken window. Yeah, but, that, but going back to what we're finding in most of these things like this is that they don't break the windows. They're just, they're flicking door handles. For a Louis Vuitton purse, I'll break a window. No, I won't. <laughs> I don't actually steal things, but I would. But the, that's where disruption is taking us into these things that we would never think about. But the, all these things we just talked about are huge value proposition opportunities for associations to help guide their members to where they need to go. So if you're interested in, in this futurism stuff, Accenture actually has this report, 20 Trends That Will Affect the Future, I think is fascinating. Look up John Spence as well. I think John has a fascinating perspective of the future. I actually did a, another podcast with EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. So I have this podcast called EO360. So if you do a search for EO360, John Spence, I think you'll, you'll be able to listen to that podcast I did with John he has this, I'm, I'm not going to get too much into John's philosophy, but he has some really, really cool stories to help you understand how you should position yourself for the future. So tell me, Tom, as we bring this to a close, what's your key takeaway from the session today? If you're looking to hear about the future, just go to tommorson.biz. Oh, you right there. <laughs> so, so come on, what is your, what, from the things we talked about, the, the, what is the key, your key the takeaway? Key, the key takeaway is something Warren Buffett says and lives by, where there's the most fear, there's the most opportunity. And so many people fear the future because they don't know what they don't know because they fear this thing is changing so fast. And the, and the answer is it is, but I've just talked to you about six different changes that are right here, right now. And if you get in front of those, you're going to be way ahead of the ball game down the road. And I always make an analogy to a relay race and relay races you hand the baton off to the person in front of you. 
Well, if you wait for the baton to get in your hand to start running, you're going to lose the race. If you start running before the baton gets to you, so when you get the baton, you've built momentum, you're gonna actually be in front of the race. So going towards 21, we're in quarter four. People need to start running right now. Right now, start learning about these futuristic trends that are happening that we've already been able to predict. Touchless, remote working, virtual meetings, all these things. Get to know them, understand what do they mean to your business and what's the opportunities and then what challenges do you have to build in to get around them, but start running today. And when you get to the first quarter of 21, you know, the economy is already ticking up and it's building steam. You want to build steam with it. You don't want to wait till you get to the time before you start running. That's a great analogy, Tom. I mean, I, I, I coached middle school track just as like an interested dad sort of thing. But that's one of the things we had to really pound into the kids is like, guys, the, the baton is coming go like do not wait till it's like a foot or two behind you like wait until they're rounding the corner and then a haul ass go right yeah all right so so my number one takeaway here and this is something i've been preaching for the past six months even pre-covid is personalization this idea of what i'll refer to as hyper customization i think there's a massive opportunity for associations to do a better job presenting individuals with relevant information, content, applications, relevant things to address their personal needs, right? as opposed to segmented needs. I think you can address personal needs. And to me, that's personalization, not some mail merge, putting my name at the beginning of an email. Or so that's my key takeaway. Or here's 42 things of why you should be a member of your association. Something's there for you. Come <laughs> in and look. Oh my God, don't get me started on that. I actually did count once an email I got from an, an, an association I belong to, and I'm very, very passionate about this organization. I love them. And I might have even mentioned that I do a podcast for them. And I got an email from them with 50 links that I could click on. 50. Hey, Tom, I actually want to make one more comment. Uh-huh. I did a presentation last week, and the topic of attention span came up. And since we were kids in the 80s watching MTV, we were told that our attention span had finally dropped to that of a goldfish. And shame on us for having such a, Tom, over here, I'm right here. So, so, but the attention, we've been told, and we're still saying that. We're still right. telling people everybody's attention span has dropped. Bullshit. That's, I call bullshit on that. And here's why. It's not that our attention span has dropped. If anyone would argue there's a short attention span, I'm probably the one with the short attention span. However, I can dedicate a fair amount of energy and focus to things that are important to me, things that I care about, things that are relevant to me. And so if you look at that, now what you discover is it's not our attention span, it's our filter. Mm -hmm. We have created these awesome filters since in the, uh, not sure if it was 70s or 80s, we were on average shown 500 ads a day in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Now it's 5,000 ads a day that are put in front of us. Now with 5,000 ads, if you have not developed a filter, you're probably in an insane asylum. Mm-hmm. So don't talk to me about my attention span. My attention span is pretty good. And you know what's better than my attention span is my filter. Think mm-hmm. about Instagram when you're going through Instagram and I get addicted to this stuff and TikTok. Oh my God. Yeah. You ever open TikTok? Try yeah. getting out of TikTok in less than 20 minutes. You can't do it. <laughs> so, but, but your filter is evident there when you're flipping and scrolling through these things and all of a sudden you see something interesting. You stop and you look at it. 
and you move on. That's a filter. So I don't know where that came up, Tom. Not sure. That's my little rabbit hole down there. No, that attention span is vastly important in attracting the attention of your members and engaging them because if you yeah. don't get them with the right filter, Thank you. if you're talking in the wrong filter, it's kind of like a love language. You know, I mean, yeah, so you got, a, you, you got a filter language and associations need to talk through the right filters that speak to you, the person. Oh, there might be a book in there, brother. The filter I feel language. feel it. Yeah, the, the filter language, language filters. Oh, it's yeah. kind of boring. Love is a lot more appealing. <laughs> right, Love right, for right. associations. Uh, All right, brother. Thank you. Yeah, Great man. talk. A little Damn, longer always. than normal, but we had hey, a lot to talk about today. Good. Uh, you talk disruption. It could go on all day, man. But it's always good to talk to you. You too, Tom. Bye-bye. Peace out, bud. We hope you gained some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about, or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at TomMorrison.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com. Give us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.